my friends, the great experiment. The greatest trick, trick, trick. Hit it. Trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of star trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek, the new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Pilot season is a hit. It's the hit <laughs> podcast within a podcast pilot season. FODs yeah. are loving it. I was just uh, scrolling around on the uh, Greatest Gen subreddit. Uh-oh. There was a suggestion that if we do a certain number of new and upgrading supporters in the Max Fun Drive, we take one of these to series. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I haven't watched anything yet that I like enough to think about like that. Have you? Wow, you're really showing your hand on today's episode. I think the like maybe one of the worst pilots that we've watched is still Space Precinct, but uh-huh. I did start watching the second episode of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe we can't trust our own tastes at this point. Uh, what else am I going to watch? Monarch Legacy of Monsters or whatever? I'm not going to watch that. This is like uh, eating buffet food. At a certain point, you can't differentiate the oh, different yeah. foods. I don't know what's good and what isn't. We got mashed potatoes... We got crab legs. We've got, you know, beef stroganoff. We got egg rolls. We got so much shit on this plate. How's the fricassee? Pretty darn good. You want some? I told you that I used to have like a regular crab leg night back when I lived in Seattle, right? And we would go to a buffet (laughs) that just did king crab legs. Wow. 30 bucks. All you can eat, king crab legs. Crab legs. How can they possibly be making money on that? Well, you'd have to drive kind of a great distance to go get them. And uh, me and my friends were more than willing. Okay. Plus, I mean, king crab legs are spiky. And you can't eat them super fast because it takes some work to get into. There are deterrents. (laughs) It wouldn't stop us. I was always a lobsterman over a crabman for the reason you cited. Like, it's just so much easier to get at the good stuff with a lobster. Yeah, I mean, I know that to be true, but over the course of my life, I've just had far, far more crab. I've had crabs way more than uh, than anything <laughs> else, Ben. I, I'm here to tell you that. And you can yeah. clip that and share it. Uh, you can throw a fistful of weird powder on your groin. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Das Boat? The, the There's a submarine movie where they're like getting on board the boat and everybody has to like throw crab powder at yeah, their Yeah, you get to do the junk. de-lousing. Well, it's that and it's Austin Powers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Austin Powers, one of the most memorable de-lousing scenes. Yeah. That, Super Troopers and Das Boat are a, an esteemed trilogy of de-lousing films. Just a crotch-dusting film festival. You program those up. We've got some film festival programmers out in the audience. Let's make that. How about new? A buddy of mine and friend of yours, FOD Grant, sent me a three-pack of like 24-ounce gold bond tubs. Like they're enormous. (laughs) 
Of the powder of, or of the glop? Of the powder. Wow. And they're like the size of footballs, each of them. He gave them to me, I want to say like 10 years ago. <laughs> I am a quarter of the way through one. <laughs> Why did he give you that? He basically Why gave me- Why did he me, do that? He gave me a lifetime <laughs> supply. I don't know. It's just like, Grant and I do this for each other. Like, like someone will mention something offhand like that. And he's like- Mm-mm. I'm going to over-gift you. I'm going to wow. make it right. I'm going to solve your balls problem for the rest of your life. Yeah, and I don't know what conversation precipitated a lifetime <laughs> supply. That's what I got. <laughs> Particularly hot weekend up in Seattle. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Seattle's the land of very occasional heat and no air conditioner. So true. you really need it when it's hot there. Kind of... The same geography you're describing with that statement, if we're talking about mm. the desert where the pyramids are. Yeah, no kidding. How's that for a pivot? That's a good pivot. Not quite a mission log level pivot, but it's a greatest gen level pivot. It and is. This is the sister program of greatest gen. So uh, well done, Adam. Engage. Let's talk about pilot season for a moment. We are not watching new Star Trek at the moment because there is no new Star Trek to watch. So uh, Ben and Wendy hatched this plan to watch pilot episodes of science fiction television that was uh, era-specific, around the time when you and I would be watching programs on TV, were we both allowed to watch as much TV as we wanted, (laughs) which only one of us was. If you could picture me or Adam in our pajamas cross-legged on the living room floor looking up at a 13-inch television set. These are the shows we would have been watching. Ben, I was 18 in 1997, so I think uh, my parents would think something was wrong with me (laughs) if they saw that scene at home. (laughs) Okay. uh, But maybe they did. Yeah. Did you stop wearing uh, pajamas by then? You're just in your boxer shorts that you sleep in on the... Living room floor. God. What was I sleeping in in uh, 1997? Well, nothing a girl would ever see. (laughs) (laughs) So a little bit later than, you know, the onset of Trek, but I feel like this show definitely has some Trek inspo in it, but is very much its own thing. And Stargate SG-1 was really one of the shows that FODs encouraged. One of the top suggestions was this, I feel like. Yeah. A great big fan base for a show that has multiple spinoffs. It's weird. Like, itself was a spinoff of a movie, but then there's like five other series in the Stargate yeah. universe. And so many episodes of this show. This show went for 10 seasons. And in the like, there are 20 episodes or 25 episodes a season, years of television. So, how'd the Stargate movie hit you? 94. That was a movie I really enjoyed. Big movie. Kurt Russell, James Spader, Jay Davidson. Stargate. A Roland Emmerich film. Remember when Roland Emmerich was just like hitting dingers? Like summer movie Roland Emmerich. Hell yeah. Summer movie Roland Emmerich, still a fave of mine. Yeah. I revisit that era of Roland Emmerich's work all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Like the combination of like you're you're putting some like 
Egyptology shit in with my sci-fi, that's peanut butter and chocolate, baby. Yeah, yeah, it truly was. I remember really loving the movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, though. Maybe since the late 90s. I think the last time I saw it was probably on a rented DVD. So, uh, wow. I mean, there's like some imagery in this that like really brought me back to it. Truly. And I think it's a, a very interesting adaptation and kind of a surprising direction that they took it in because I feel like that movie was pretty successful, you know, at the box office. And instead of going the sequel route, the Stargate extended cinematic universe route, they went the Stargate television show route. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that overshadows the movie in a lot of ways. It feels like a modern interpretation of cinema success too, right? Like what's more likely right now, a movie sequel or a pivot to series, a, right. a pivot to prestige series even? Especially in a world where like, making a living as like a writer director of feature films is brutally difficult. But if you get one hit series as the showrunner, like you're kind of made for life in a certain way. Like, I mean, it obviously depends on which cable network or streamer you're working for. But sure. if you're talking about getting your bag, being the showrunner series creator of something like this is uh, ridiculous compared to trying to grind it out as like an indie filmmaker or whatever. Well, I was pretty excited to get myself into this series, Ben. What do you say we get this one started? Let's do it, Adam. It's season one, episode one of Stargate SG-1, Children of the Gods. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. We just can't do the Stargate SG-1. Now, we were told that because this show first aired on premium cable, there would be nudity. And Ben, this cold open is of a strip poker game <laughs> where everyone appears to be losing. Yeah, it's one of those strip poker games, though, where everybody wore like 14 sweatshirts. And it's like, this sucks. Like, it's the letter of the strip poker law, but not the spirit of the strip poker law. I've played so much poker in my life. <laughs> decades of poker i've never played strip poker wow the thing about strip poker i think that people think is that it's sexy like a sexy game mm -hmm. but try to imagine just no matter how attractive you are or how tight your birdie is you're still slumped over a card table <laughs> playing cards that's not yeah. sexy no, it's not. And it takes a long time to get through a, a game of poker. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm bad at poker, not because I'm bad at the betting or running the odds of the other person having good or bad cards mm -hmm. in my head. I'm bad because I get bored and I stop making wise choices because I'm like, how the fuck do I get out of this? Like, I want to go do anything else. You are exactly the type of person I count on anytime I sit down <laughs> on a poker game. I will never be bored playing poker. I will wait. I will wait for you to fuck up. And that's where I will strike. I fuck up intentionally because it's too boring. And uh, that's sort of what's going on here. The game is just not keeping this one lady's attention. These are a bunch of soldiers, and we are in the high bay where 
in the feature film of Stargate, they erected the gate and ran it. But uh, it sort of looks like it's been put in mothballs here. It's under a, uh, it's not a tarp. It's like a parachute, right? They like draped a parachute over it. It makes a ton of sense because they don't make car covers this big. Like, what are you going to do? Throw like a fumigation tent over it? Like what comes in this size? Yeah. And no one's going to want to dust it. It's too high up. You don't want it to get dusty though. It's like a priceless relic from a forgotten past. Can you imagine how loudly, very loudly indeed, those gears would sound once they start moving? (laughs) Get the dust out of there. So yeah, Sergeant Carol Wetterings notices that there's some billowing going on with this parachute, indicating that something underneath is moving. And she raises this to the other army guys that are sitting in the high bay playing poker. And uh, they don't really care that much. So she walks up the big ramp and parachute comes down. We get that effect of like the, it looks like when you jump into water, like all the bubbles that you take in with you, but without a body coming through, like these like bubbles shoot out of it and then get sucked back in. And then it's like the surface of the water inside the circle. Isn't it amazing how much nostalgia you can feel for an effect like this? It felt exactly the same as the movie effect. It really does. This looks like it's been scanned to HD, but I was wondering if it was shot on like Super 16 or something because it doesn't quite look as good as some of the other shows that we've seen scanned to HD from 35 millimeter. But the effects are like such a specific vintage and done right at the same level as they did them in the movie. And there's enough of them that I was persuaded that they didn't just recycle them from Mm -hmm. the movie. Like, these are not just shots from the movie dropped into the show. I do feel like that happens later on, though, in some of the uh, higher action scenes. Definitely. So everybody gets their M16s out because the gate has unexpectedly opened. It's a good thing they kept them all down there, so far down below Cheyenne Mountain. Like... (laughs) (laughs) you never know yeah sergeant wetterings goes up to like touch the surface of the water on this open door to another world and a sphere comes through and like lands on the ground next to her and scans her this is the most natural thing in the world you see it all the time at like a baseball game you want to get the foul ball even if it means reaching into the field of play Wetterings has got to let this ball go, but she can't. She's got to grab it. She's looking at this thing when a snake man comes through. Tin man. And grabs her. And then a bunch more of them come through. This may be the most obvious question. And this is going (laughs) to really out me as an idiot in this regard. (laughs) But like, if you are a furry, you require fur, right? It's not just about the proportions and the giant head that you wear and stuff. Because when these snake men came through, I was like, oh, those are like snake furries. But then I was like, no, there's no (laughs) fur. They're just like metal snakes. I mean, this is going to throw off my algorithm for the rest of my (laughs) life, but I just You're looking up snake furries? Are there snake furries? Yeah, there has to be. DeviantArt has snake furries, 
and they are all naked ladies. Hmm. But this was also like a very low search result. Yeah. And also like a lot of these naked snake ladies have like fox heads. It does seem like there are a lot more foxes than anything else, aren't there? Yeah. I mean, they're so foxy. So one of these uh, snake man is a gold snake man. And what he has is a kind of uh, hand weapon that he can hold near Wettering's face and makes her talk to the hand. Oh, my God. <laughs> he does. And Blump. Yeah. She's out for the count. These helmets, these snake helmets also open, and we get to see the gold guy's face and one other guy's face, and uh, we'll get to know this guy later, but um, the non-gold guy has a gold embossed logo above his head. Unclear if that's like a part of his birdie or some kind of uh, scarification or or what, but uh, he's not the only person in this episode that has it. He's a very striking looking dude. Uh, not he just really with is. that third eye thing. Like he's rocking the eyeliner like most people on this team do under yeah. the snake head. Speaking of the other team, the militaries with the machine guns, <laughs> there's a quality to this fight back that I love. And that is a few of them, but not all of them. When they shoot these machine guns, they gotta be screaming. They gotta be screaming while shooting. And I love this so much. I don't know why I do, but it seems like the most natural choice in the world to like hold down the trigger and scream at the same time. This is like a very specific vintage 90s thing. There's a span from like the 80s to the 90s where if you got shot while you were holding a machine gun in a movie, you would like scream and like finish your clip before going down, you know? Like there's that like, ah, and like a bunch of shots go in the air Uh as you're going down. Yeah. But like there was like a little moment in like the mid to late 90s where everybody was like shooting and screaming at the same time. (laughs) Hey, Ben, bring that back. The shoot scream years. They're, yeah. They're long. Hey, if we're going to bring Jenkos and mullets back, can we bring shoot screams back? God, please do. Can we make it fun to shoot a machine gun again? <laughs> That's what this podcast stands for. Yeah. Above most other considerations. Um, this firefight's very exciting because it seems like the M16s are pretty equally matched to the laser spears that the snake mans are wielding. (laughs) Yeah. And we see snake mans go down. We see soldiers go down. Hey, here's a tip. Don't aim for the snake heads. Those things are armored. (laughs) Yeah. Those things seem to be able to repel bullets. Most of them get away and they take Sergeant Wetterings with them. There's kind of a, after action scene where you see lots of soldiers rushing to try and stop this from happening, like huge, super heavy door closing in the Cheyenne Mountain complex. Legally, you have to show the Cheyenne Mountain door close. Like (laughs) if you're shooting there or even like doing the depiction of it, that's the main thing about Cheyenne Mountain, right? I want to see that three foot thick concrete and steel door shutting. You could argue it's less about the mountain and more about the door. Yeah. You know what a folksy thing would be to say about someone? Is he's a he's all door and no mountain. <laughs> you get what they're saying when they say that. Yeah. I like it. 
one of the soldiers that enters right as they're retreating with Sergeant Wetterings is Major General George Hammond, played by Don S. Davis, an all-time that guy. All-timer, yep. Ben, do you know who played uh, Major General Wetterings in the movie? Please tell me you do. I don't. I think if I gave you 20 guesses, you would eventually get there. But would you believe it's Leon Rippy? Whoa! <laughs> That's great. Isn't that crazy? Why don't you come back later on? You and me will find us a couple of low-mileage pit wolfies and help them build a memory. Why didn't they bring him back? Don't tell me Leon Rippy didn't pick up the phone for the fucking television adaptation. Oh, Leon Rippy picks up the phone, my friend. There was a bright line between TV actor and movie star in those days. And Kurt Russell couldn't stoop, you know, Spader couldn't stoop to being in the TV adaptation. They're probably way too expensive, too. But Leon Rippy? Uh-oh, Ben. What, what did you say this general's name was? Hammond. Oh, now, false alarm. General, <laughs> oh, shit. general West <laughs> is who Leon Rippy played. I'm trying to find who the original general was in the movie. They mentioned General West in one of these early scenes because they're like, oh, yeah, I replaced General West. Oh, there it is then. Yeah. This is Rippy Erasure. Yeah. What it is is Rippy Erasure, and and for this we will not stand. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So it's not like the troops win. It's more like the snakes retreat. They go back through the Stargate, but not before the lead gold guy's eyes. They're just so hypnotizing. They kind of do a mm. little glare. And then uh, they take Wetterling yeah. and they go back through the Stargate. He's got one of those hats that like Grace Jones wore in Pee Wee's Christmas special. Just really hypnotized by this person. We get that into the theme. And I had not thought about this movie score in a long time, but like they weave elements of the movie theme throughout the show. And it's great. Really nice. I love how they were able to take it and kind of make it its own thing. David Arnold gets credit for being the composer, but like uh-huh. Joel Goldsmith, son of Jerry Goldsmith, running the music show on this show. How about that? Amazing. So when we come back from this opening credit sequence, we get a scene that is very much like the scene in the film. Any scene in a film where a bunch of guys in like a military helicopter or car pull up and like tell a scientist that they need him to come immediately like i'm in you know (laughs) i think the thing i'm most looking forward to about being retired is someone asking me to come out of retirement you know like (laughs) like we're finally done ben like we've done all the star trek all the new star trek Mm. has been over for a long time but then like a car pulls up i'm on my roof (laughs) doing some bullshit and they're like hey are you adam pranica they made a new Star Trek. We need you out of retirement. But I was done with all that nonsense years ago. <laughs> I said, they said you were the best. They said you were the only one. What did Ben say? Ben's dead. What? <laughs> <laughs> I hit him with my car when I went to go look for him. <laughs> Who just lays in the driveway like that? Now I got a car stuck in my ponytail and I'm fucked. This is the scene where they pick up Colonel Mm O'Neill, retired. This is Richard Dean Anderson 
in the role that Kurt Russell played in the film. I read that Richard Dean Anderson had two conditions for coming to work on this show, and he was attached to it before they really like had put the script up on its feet before they really had anything figured out. It was like, Hey, do you want to be the Kurt Russell character from Stargate in a TV version? And he was like, yes, but I want to do a little bit of comedy stuff. I want it to be like a funny version of that character, not the super straight Kurt Russell version of that character. And two, I want it to be an ensemble cast. I do not want to have to carry this series the way I did MacGyver. I love that. Yeah. You can't just step into Kurt Russell's hair, which is another <laughs> choice he made. Like, what's one of the main things you remember about MacGyver? Richard Dean Anderson's awesome flowing hair. What does he do yeah. before Stargate? Cuts it off. He doesn't want those comparisons. And I get it. Yeah. I mean, very few people have ever had as beautiful a head of hair as Kurt Russell. I mean, this is not to besmirch Richard Dean Anderson's great head of hair. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, Kurt Russell, like, gifted by the Almighty, you know? And uh, the hair might be the reason I do wind up watching Monarch Legacy of Monsters. <laughs> Gotta say, starting here and continuing throughout the rest of this pilot, really love Richard Dean Anderson's spin on Jack O'Neill. He wears the Jack O'Neill character like so many broken-in leather jackets. He is just <laughs> great at this. Yeah. Great casting. Richard Dean Anderson will be in my dreams tonight. So the Air Force guy is like, hey, you got to come with us. There's like, <laughs> there's some shit going down at, uh, at, at the Cheyenne Mountain Complex. And Did they edit out the part where O'Neill sees the piece of shit base car that clearly everyone on base has to share? And he's like... <laughs> You're taking me back to the base in this? Like, can Cheyenne Mountain not do better than this fucking... <laughs> it's so awful. It's a piece of shit. We get to see them going in the big tunnel and then going down to sub-level 11 and signing in. Then they have to go into a different elevator that goes even deeper. <laughs> I love that. We know this about tall buildings, you take the elevator up to a middle section where there's a plaza to then board a different elevator to go all the way. Right. This is what makes elevator traffic better throughout the flow of a building. Ergo, this has got to be the concept in Cheyenne Mountain. Yeah. Also security, but mostly traffic, right? Right. So they go in. This guy, he seems to just be a guard. <laughs> like when they get there, like like he replaces a guy and just like is standing at attention in a hallway. Once they arrive. How do you like Richard Dean Anderson's icebreaker when he when he walks into the general's office? Tremendous. I love that he attempted it. I love that he eats shit. You ever think of writing a book about your exploits in the line of duty? I've thought about it. But then I'd have to shoot anyone that actually read it. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. I love what the general's like. You know, after a joke like that, doing so terribly, I feel like our next stop should be the morgue. <laughs> That's a joke, sir. Yes, of course. It definitely, like, breaks the, this is going to be a knockoff of Star Trek spell that I was under also, because, like, the general says come when mm. they're at the door in a very 
Picard way. And I was like, oh, like just how much of the vibe are they trying to get? And they depart hard from that moment. Come makes you think of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, JL Pipes in particular. Mm-hmm. So we go to the morgue, we get to see the birdie of one of the snake mans that they took down. And it was driving me nuts that his forehead was in such dark shadow. You can't see whether he's got the thing or not. Yeah, unclear about the thing. His eyes do not glow because he is dead. Yeah, and he's got this, I thought it was a Y incision, but uh, it's actually an X incision here. And then they reveal we haven't done an autopsy yet. So what's that? Nobody reaches in. Not a lot of curiosity about this. I guess they're just taking their time. I think if you have a dead on the slab and there's an X in that dead, you got to reach in there, right? <laughs> See what's in the in the X. Yeah. I mean, there could be supplies. If you're a veteran of an open world video game, I mean, maybe there's some gold in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, depending on what video game, there could be a barrel. There could be an entire <laughs> extra set of armor that has different magical properties, you know? Have to check the X. (laughs) Yo, snow cone machine maker. So they know that the attackers were not human. They had advanced weapons. And we start talking a little bit about like what we know from the film. This was useful information for me because I also have not watched the film in a long time. But in the movie, they went to a planet called Avidos. These are not the type of aliens that they found on Avidos because they found humans on Avidos that had been brought from ancient Egypt. And they worshipped this guy, Ra, who was an alien, but not this kind of alien. And he was like mimicking the existing theology of the ancient Egyptians that they had abducted. This scene was fine, but you know what would have been better? Rewind back to the theme song. Hey, I'm Richard Dean Anderson. (laughs) I had a chance to have a better haircut, but I turned it down because I also wanted to be in an ensemble show. You might remember a movie called Stargate, where we go through a Stargate and we find humans on another planet. Well, as far as anyone knows, I dropped a nuke on the other side of that Stargate and blew all of those guys up and then came back here. You could say this is the first thing to happen after that movie. That's why we call it Stargate. (laughs) SG-1. (laughs) This is great. This is so crucial. You need this. And crucially, also, we are led to believe that the James Spader character, Daniel Jackson, was left on Avidos. And what Richard Dean Anderson's character slash Kurt Russell's character told everybody is they set off a nuke on the other side. So that Stargate is destroyed along with everybody that lived over there. And so it doesn't make any sense that somebody's coming through the Stargate. Like, as far as they know, it's a one-way trip back and forth. And and they they tested it, right? Like, they're like, yeah, we threw some shit in there and it like came back flat. <laughs> it was smushed. So who wants to be the first to go through? seems risky as effusive as we were about the casting of richard dean anderson i feel like it's got to be so challenging to do a spader and one of the things i read about after watching this episode was that they had to re-loop all the dialogue that michael shanks did from what i read he was spadering a little too hard whoa Figuring that they had a hit on their hands, they were like, we can't make this guy do Spader the whole time. 
It's too difficult. <laughs> it's too heavy of a lift. So they re-recorded a bunch of the dialogue, and I know a lot of characters did to sort wow. of round it into a shape that they could sustain for season after season. That is a choice that the lady that played Ivanova on Babylon 5 made without having to see the dailies. <laughs> yeah, that was a business decision for sure. Would you look at that? The next stop is back in General Hammond's office and through the glass partition, Richard Dean Anderson sees a couple of other army guys, Kowalski and Ferretti, who have been brought in to be questioned about what they know about the Stargate and what happened on the other side. And he's pretty stressed out about this. And then he finds out that they're getting ready to send a nuke through to like re-nuke the other side <laughs> because the whole thing is like, yeah, we don't know like what goes on with the Stargate, but we don't want it to be a threat. Like we can't have just like bad guys from another planet rolling through this whenever they want and shooting people. The logic of this scene makes total sense though, because according to the general, he's like, you know, your mission was great success, right? We wheeled a nuke onto the other side of the Stargate we blew it up and nothing happened for a long, long time, right? <laughs> and Jack O'Neill kind of pulls at his collar a little bit and he's like, well, <laughs> what would you say if I told you that instead of that nuke blowing up directly on the other side of the Stargate, it was instead up in a ship above the planet and it destroyed Ra in orbit and that other Stargate on the other side was undamaged completely and uh james spader and company are just fine over there just like living their lives is that okay is that okay with you how do you feel about that take on how the mission went a year ago <laughs> the general has a hard time with this not a great piece of news that some of the records have been falsified and they're like not going to send the nuke through immediately, but they're going to send the nuke through. And so Richard Dean Anderson goes off and he gets like locked up with Kowalski and they have a little hang talking about their backstories. Kowalski and Ferretti, they were loyal as fuck. They didn't blab about the nuke going into orbit with raw situation. We learned that uh, Richard Dean Anderson had a son who died. So he's haunted. Gotta have that in a character. Gotta be a little haunted, for sure. <laughs> when me went through that whole mission together, I never even knew you had a son. They also talk about a kid on the other side of the gate that really took to Colonel O'Neill. Yeah, sort of like a substitute kid. Mm. You know, a kid that's going to make it all better. <laughs> yeah. His name was Scara, mm -hmm. and they have some fond feelings for young Scara. Yeah. They're finishing up this conversation and General Hammond comes back and he's like, okay, well, I feel bad about that whole nuke thing. What about if you guys like send a note through or something? And Richard Dean Anderson's like, I have an idea. Grabs a box of Kleenex, throws it into the hole <laughs> with like no further information. Like he doesn't tell anybody what this is about until it's through. And he's like, oh yeah, uh, you know, the... Guy we went through with uh, the James Spader character had allergies, so he's really going to appreciate this after being in a dusty environment for a year with no technology. Richard Dean Anderson gestures to the general with like the jack off hand, like, oh yeah, allergies. <laughs> he's really going to use these for allergies. 
<laughs> the truth is he's a furious masturbator, General. You got to know this. Daniel was a scientist. He sneezed a lot. Is <laughs> there any good reason for this? Like, is there any reason it couldn't be a note written out longhand on a paper plane that they throw through the Stargate? It's fun. It's so fun. <laughs> it is fun. It allows you to see the transit of this thing, too. Like, the tech behind the Stargate is given to you in a moment like this. We followed the tissues box through the gate, and then they wait. And then they're banger. Hey, I think it's responding. It is like a, the tube system outside a bank. When you want to uh, <laughs> make a deposit the old-fashioned way. Oh, yeah. Like Here back it comes. In the day when you paid at Home Depot with a check. So fun. I yeah. love this. This tissue box comes back empty, which I think confirms the whole masturbation thing. Yeah. And a request for more. Well, it's not exactly empty. They look inside and, oh! Oh, it's that box from Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You were supposed to use the tissues, man. <laughs> and with this, Jack O'Neill is returned to active duty. To both please yeah. that booty and go through the Stargate once the president gives his order. And you know he's gonna. You got to imagine the president is all in on this and not like distracted at some state dinner and like having somebody whisper in there and like, can we, can we send this guy through the gate? <laughs> I wanted to see the president. We don't see the president in this show. I forget who it was. It might have been Bruce Sterling said that the difference between sci-fi and a thriller is that a thriller has the president in it? <laughs> like, it's just as much like fantastical technology. But with the addition of the president, that keeps this on the side of the sci-fi line. It's, it's not a, a techno thriller. So there's a passage of time here. The next day is the day they go on this mission, and we meet Samantha Carter, who's yeah. been assigned to the group, and she's a lady. What? <laughs> and she's smart and qualified? What? A yeah. theoretical astrophysicist and a person in her own right. Whoa. And she has a rank in the Air Force? Is there anything she can't do? Well, I'll tell you what she's doing in this scene. She puts the spin on the word men a little hard, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Sir, you and your men might as well accept the fact that I am going through this time. And she goes pretty hard on describing the differences between her genitals and everyone else's at the table. It was such an interesting scene because I think we are so used to television shows now where no comment is made about the idea of a powerful or capable woman. And like still somehow in 1997, that had to be addressed outside of a Star Trek context. I mean, there's a quality in the late 90s to military lady. I mean, we're not going to get to know Samantha Carter past the episodes for pilot season, but like on a long enough timeline, I bet she is a little more than this, you know, Yeah. like very defensive ball kicker, you know, it is appropriate to refer to a person by their rank, not their salutation. You should call me captain, not doctor. I mean, in her defense, like the dudes at the table are being dicks, but like she really comes over the top at them. Yeah. She's probably been dealing with this her whole career. She's in a target-rich environment. She's going to kick all their asses, you know? And this is uh, the beginning of a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where we talk about this mission and this idea. There's going to be 
a trip into the Stargate. I keep almost saying Stardate. <laughs> How many times is this going to happen on a Star Trek podcast? I bet a lot. I know. They're going to go to Avidos and see what's going on and why they're sending hostile aliens through the hole. Or- and if they can, put a stop to it. I love the idea. Like, hey, why don't we look at the other side before blowing up the other side? That makes sense, right? Yeah. So knowing that it is a desert environment that they're going to, everybody gets in their desert camo. Perfect. And they get suited up. Most of the team are like, uh, have been through this hole before. Like they know what to expect. Mm -hmm. I did really like Samantha Carter being there for the expression of wonder at the amazing sci-fi miracle that is happening. Like she is the one character that's not jaded or just afraid of the Stargate. She is super excited about the technology it represents. And she's also like the next scene when they're like marching up the ramp. Like we got off on the wrong foot, but I think we're going to get along. Like I know that you're a misogynist and a misogynist. But ultimately, I think you're going to find that I deserve your respect. And I'll be here waiting for when you do. Motion sickness isn't a great look on the other side. Neither is the ambush by the natives that set upon them almost immediately. And there's not James Spader just launching in to have a conversation with them. Not James Spader played by Michael Shanks. Yeah. This is the part of the show where we transition into Michael Shanks from James Spader. (laughs) Playing Daniel Jackson. I guess they've armed like Skara and all the other natives with M16s. I guess they must have just left a bunch of materiel in the field when they retreated at the end of the movie. But they sit and watch this Stargate and keep an eye on it and make sure it's only friendlies coming through. 36 hours a day. Long day on this planet. Yeah, I hope they have labor laws commensurate with how long their days are. Yeah. So we also meet Share who is the special lady friend of Dr. Daniel Jackson. A lady friend? I was suspicious of them right away because they are uh, very, very into public displays of affection, right? I don't know, man. Why are you trying so hard? (laughs) We get it. (laughs) It's been a year, all right? Yeah. Is there no bloom that's come off the rose? (laughs) In a room, you two! So they're like, yeah, like we didn't send any uh, laser spear wielding aliens through. Don't know what you're talking about. And this really opens up the Stargate universe conceptually, right? Because what Daniel's saying is like, this isn't just two paper cups connected by a string and that's Stargate. Stargate is actually many Stargates that go many different places. Yeah, there's like a scene where they like, have food with the locals and then they like walk across the sand to a different temple. And this is where he kind of explains this. Like there's this whole building that has like basically the phone numbers of like thousands of other stargates in it. Including a giant rotary phone wheel (laughs) in front of the gate, which is great. Yeah. There's some like science techno babble stuff in here about like the expanding universe compromising the specific numbers that are set in stone here because this temple is like 5,000 years old. So these numbers don't work anymore. But if we like 
write all of these numbers down and then put them into a computer, it would be able to like calculate the new coordinates based on the amount of drift that would have been experienced since these were written down. And it explains how those snake guys came through from the beginning and why these folks wouldn't know about it because they came from a different gate. Right. And so uh, Captain Carter and Dr. Jackson really nerd out with each other about this and all of the suspicious of scientists, soldier guys are like, huh, what? Hey, good job by uh, Charest not getting totally jealous about this because it seems like Jackson and Carter kind of hitting it off. Mm. Mm. But the reason why it doesn't go much further is because of some PDA. Like <laughs> this, it's a good thing they're wearing like boner obscuring robes because <laughs> this is a boner kiss, right? It really is. No question about it. You're not getting out of this kiss without getting a little bit excited. Yeah. It's going to move after a kiss like this. <laughs> We need to score a lot of laughs fast. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, Nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the Spring Cleaning Champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size inclusive options. 
And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Speaking of things moving, back at the Stargate, a bunch of more snake men come through and grab a bunch of people. We learned that the other dude, the not gold snake man, is named Teal'c. Mm-hmm. They're just grabbing people. Like it's kind of the same smash and grab thing that they did before with the hand weapon that makes people fall asleep. Shah Ray gets grabbed, and some uh, assessment of her dental situation leads the main gold guy to believe that she is special. So Teal spends a lot of time in the desert and hot environments, Ben. Do you think there's a chance that he's probably got three large containers of tealcum powder? Probably got six. Yeah, think so. I think he probably goes through it a, a lot more swiftly than you did up in Seattle, you know? I bet he's got to powder the X. <laughs> <laughs> got to keep the X dry, don't you? Yeah, but you don't want to get powder in the X. It burns. Bad scene for the locals because Share and the kid Skara are the only survivors. Yeah, it seemed like the costumes that the snake men were wearing were more bulletproof this time. Yeah. Or maybe just the locals aren't as good marksmen as trained soldiers. Maybe that's why, but it didn't seem like any snake men fell yeah. in this raid. The lead snake hits a couple of buttons and they go back through the Stargate with their hostages. And when the rest of the group returns, they're shocked about what happened. One of the survivors said it was Ra. I mean, you can understand why they would say that. The glowing eyes and the uh, talk to the hand trick. Oh, my goodness. I know, but not all of that type of alien look the same, guys. I guess. Yeah. It's not okay. So they take the wounded home, and Jack has orders to take Daniel with. But before Daniel goes, he's like, you got to stay behind. 
absolutely no poker can be played while you're watching the Stargate from this side. What we need you to do <laughs> is make sure no one comes through. And if I don't come home in exactly a year, exactly a year, you got to bury this thing forever. All right. Old yeah. school. That's a hell of a, a timeline, right? I like that. It's like that specific though. Like I would have given myself a month if I was him, you know? I know. Yeah. I think Sharae would probably be upset if she thought it may take him up to a year to find her. Right. But she doesn't hear. She doesn't have to hear any of this. Yeah. I mean, I think that one thing I read about this was that they picked up two seasons in the initial order. And I don't know if that was after they saw the pilot or before, but if they knew that they were planning for 44 episodes or whatever, yeah, like it seems arbitrary coming out of the character's mouth. But in that context, I kind of get it. The guys are like, you really want us to sit outside this gate for a year and not play strip poker <laughs> at any point? Look at our rags. Like, <laughs> all of us want to get out of these. You play strip poker against someone wearing a robe? That's a serious game. <laughs> With serious implications. <laughs> Stakes is high. So we cut over to the Cheyenne Mountain Stargate and it starts spinning and the team comes back home with all their wounded and Daniel's there too. And then the iris closes and this iris is made out of titanium. It's like a lid for the Cheyenne Mountain side. And they're pretty confident that once the iris is closed, nothing can get through. You hear that things take a ton of time to get done in government, but they were Johnny on the spot with manufacturing and installing the titanium iris on yeah. the Stargate. They really did a great job getting this done. I was surprised that they triaged all of these wounded on the ramp. I was too. But then I thought, like, that's probably where you want to do it for drainage, right? Oh, yeah. I wonder if there's just a trough underneath it that captures all the blood and bile that spills out. That makes sense. You're going to want to do that outside of any Stargate. Yeah. Ben, where do the snake people live? That's what the next scene tells us. They live in a castle. And uh, it doesn't look deserted at all, does it? <laughs> it doesn't. It's not deserty. It's very like medieval-y. Mm -hmm. I just was on a Babylon 5 podcast called Who Are You? And we watched uh, Army of Darkness for that. And oh, wow. Army of Darkness is set in like 1300s England, but shot at like Vasquez Rocks. <laughs> it's like, this is like what they were actually going for. Like cold, drippy, wet pine trees castle but when we cut to the inside much more of a harem vibe going on here and Wetterings is there I was shocked yeah I guess this is where they took her not just Wetterings also Dr. Jackson's uh, lovely wife is in there I love how Wetterings was made to change into a harem dress but allowed to keep her dog tags <laughs> that's fun yeah it's good stuff we had been led to believe that this being a Showtime show, we might see boobs in this pilot. And this is pretty much the closest we get, is like some sheer garments in the harem. Yeah. I mean, uh, the lead snake with the glowing eyes and the hand thing makes her clothes fly off. He can see everything in this scene. He can see it all. Yeah. But the camera doesn't turn around to show us, the audience, what it looks like. And she's made to lay down on a table where a lady with a similar looking X-shaped belly incision stands over her and out pops 
this snake looking thing who kind of gives Wetterings a look over. And I guess this thing doesn't like Wetterings and she gets executed right there on the table. I have not watched hentai, really. I'm aware of the themes of it. Ben, is this your idea of hentai? Well, I I just have a question for you, an expert. (laughs) Do the tentacles often reject the ladies in the hentai? Not in my experience. Yeah, feel bad for wettering. Yeah, I mean, look, rejection is painful no matter what the context. Even if you've been taken to a different planet, thrown into a harem, and then uh, commanded to lay down on a table in front of a weird snake. Like, that's got to <laughs> hurt before she's dead, right? Like, I'm not good enough for this thing. It's a very undignified way to go out. Yeah. So we cut back over to Cheyenne Mountain where they're uh, having a McLaughlin group. Issue two. About uh, maybe Ra isn't dead. Maybe he is. Maybe there are more Ra's, like multiple Ra's. Yeah. Ra-type aliens. Maybe he's got a brother Ray. (laughs) That's what we need. (laughs) And they're gods. Not god gods, but Dr. Jackson explains, like, they, in the context of ancient Egypt, identified what the theological beliefs of the locals were and then, like, played that role. So maybe there are more of this race and they're dying out, but this is, like, another example of that. And it seems like they're kind of like rounding people up. So based on two data points, they're rounding people up. And General Hammond's like, okay, well, I've heard enough. Time to form an elite unit. This is a very important meeting because we went from the theoretical concept of multiple Stargates, multiple hurdles, going to different planets all over the place to confirmation of this and the assembly of teams to go to all these places yeah and guess what jack o'neill you're the first team you're sg1 yeah and daniel's like i didn't hear what team i was on and actually i'm gonna volunteer (laughs) for one and i'm not gonna take no for an answer yeah kowalski is gonna lead sg2 there's gonna be a bunch of other sg teams and meanwhile ferretti has woken up And he was in the room looking after the Stargate when the Snake Men came through. And he was able to memorize the phone number of the planet where the harem is. So, new mission. Ben, this is science fiction, right? Like, (laughs) I'm trying to imagine any circumstance where I haven't taken fire and been mortally wounded and been asked, like, do you remember a phone number you saw on the side of a bus (laughs) during that very stressful moment. I wouldn't remember one number from that phone number. What are you talking about? We know that there's seven digits and this being a television show, the first three are going to be five, right? It's five, five, five. So he he just has to remember four numbers. And they're symbols. (laughs) That, That does make it difficult. When you're a spy, a real spy in the real world, This has got to be part of the recruiting, right? Like, how well can you remember something photographically like this? Yeah. So you're positing a world of, like, neurodivergent spies who have eidetic memories and can look at a bunch of alien symbols and just remember them. This is that classic greatest gen, greatest trek 
sauce right there where I say something awkwardly and bad and you come in with like a $10 word and a totally efficient way to put it. And you sn- even fucking snapped your fingers at the end of it, Ben. You're like, like that. Yes, Ben. That's what I mean. It's 555 Pyramid Bird Sickle Square. <laughs> you really got to trust Ferretti's got this one because I feel like if you enter the wrong number, you could be fucked. The greatest trick. They go back into the high bay where the Stargate is. They've kitted out in a whole different set of fatigues now. I love that they guessed right on the fatigues. There's no reason for them to know that greens are the color, right? Well, so I thought about that. I was like, oh, so like they're like guessing that this will be olive drab or olive drab is like more likely maybe mm-hmm. to match wherever they're going than desert camo. But then I realized these are like the official uniforms of SG-1. They have like the logos on the arms. Again, the government is on top of their shit in this show. Like when they decided to form an elite unit, it did not take 24 hours to produce a new uniform design. It was like hours later, they have fitted uniforms for these people ready to go. I mean, there's an entire industry out there that's meant to foment a distrust and distaste for government agencies. There are Mm -hmm. some agencies in the government that, uh, work pretty efficiently. (laughs) And I think I'm talking about SG-1 specifically. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they punch in the number and they're told by General Hammond they've got 24 hours to do this one. I guess it's like the mission is basically see if you can rescue Dr. Jackson's girlfriend and that other guy. I wish so bad that they cut over to Daniel Jackson and he's like, 24 hours? I was hoping for more like... A year or like just (laughs) under a year to give me time to like succeed and then go back through the Stargate where I gave that warning about closing it off after a year. That would actually be a really elegant way to synchronize our timelines here, no? And uh, General Hammond is like, you're lucky I'm fucking letting you go on this mission. (laughs) Hey, Lieutenant Kleenex, shut the fuck up. (laughs) This time they've got this like eight wheeled cargo skiff that goes through with them this is a war wagon ben is it is that that a real name for a thing no it's what i called it i like it. remote control war wagon kicks ass it's got the name fred stenciled Mm -hmm. on the side Mm -hmm. i don't know what that stands for there's no way this isn't vancouver right oh the environment that they walk into yeah it just feels exactly that Yeah, it's that cold, and we know that you get a little uh, frosting of ice on your birdie when you go through the Stargate. That's fun. That's just fun when you're going to a hot planet like the other one, but when you're going to planet Vancouver, it's kind of a drag because everybody's got fog coming out of their mouths. It's real chilly here. Damn it, it's cold. This Stargate has been set up in sort of a druidic stone circle situation. Hmm. So they've made landfall on this new planet. The first thing you do when you land at a new planet is uh, set up your Claymore mines, which I loved. So fast. They encircle this site in explosives that can be set off from a defensible position. (laughs) Love it. 
they really learned some lessons last time. Like, you want to set up your minds and then dig the outdoor toilet. <laughs> That's the order. Sound about right, Quasi? Yeah, that'll work. We cut back to the castle where Teal'c is selecting Sharae, Daniel Jackson's wife, for submission to the raw dude. And she gets grabbed and taken out of the harem. Same treatment, you know. These dudes cutting her clothes off of her and she gets examined by this god character. But we cut away before we find out what happened to her. And Stargate SG-2 team, led by Kowalski, are going to hold down the Stargate area. And SG-1 is going to go in, reconnoiter the castle, see if there's any harem-type situations there, and you know, attempt to make whatever rescues they can. I feel like a stitch of dialogue, you could have had him say like, and set up a bunch of claymores while we're gone or something, you know? I mean, you got to believe that wagon was just full of claymores. (laughs) So many claymores. They're heading to the castle and they bump into a bunch of monks who are walking around and Dr. Jackson goes up and introduces himself. Classic Daniel, right? The man has not changed. He's able to communicate with them. They speak some derivation of Arabic, which I was kind of surprised by. Chulak, did they win? Hardly. We'll find out when they're led to wherever they're going. Chulak seems to be like the name of the town, right? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) All I know is they said it a bunch in this scene. How awkward is this? They meet up with these druids. They get taken into town. And it's like mid-dinner party, and they're invited to sit down mid-dinner party? The druids also, like, they have, like, tattoos of the same design that Teal'c has. Yeah. I wonder if that's, like, because they worship Teal'c, or because they just have, like, a cheaper approach to getting the same kind of scarification that he has. It kind of looks like that symbol from True Detective Night Country. You been watching that? Have not been watching. Yeah. Anyway, this giant horn sounds. And that means you gotta bow. Bow down for the giant horn, which announces the arrival of the snakeman. And the gold snake has made Sharae queen. That sounds like a promotion. Daniel can't be happy for her, though. Hey, Daniel, it's okay to be a special person of a powerful lady, all right? Doesn't make you any less. Why has he gotta bring her down? Every queen needs her jester, Adam. Yeah, I guess so. So yeah, he runs at the all-powerful god alien and gets blasted across the room with that hand weapon thing. Yeah. And wakes up in jail. SG-1 has been locked up, and we only have 90 minutes left on the 24 hours, or we're trapped here forever. The dungeon is where we are. Daniel's still pretty shaken up from talking to the hand. Oh my goodness. One of the snake guards asks Jack about his watch and where he's from. And Daniel draws on the ground where they're from. It's an interesting bit of curiosity by Teal'c. Yeah. And I think we've seen at this point a few instances of Teal'c like doing bad shit for the gold snake and little micro expressions on his face of like, I don't love the direction my career has gone at this point. Unclear whether or not the snake that's riding inside of him approves of his behavior, though. Yeah. So they've got to get out of this jail. Unclear how they're going to do it. Back at camp, it's clear that they brought tents for their one-day mission. 
Tents that they've set up and have slept in, waiting for the team to return? What is this? How long does it take to set up a tent? 15 minutes. It's cold out there. Why are they doing this? (laughs) (laughs) They had room for like 10 more Claymore mines without those tents. Let's just say that for every the Enterprise D, there is a the USS Hood. Mm -hmm. And for Mm -hmm. every SG-1, there is an SG-2. Okay. SG-1 is like locked up in a jail. SG-2 went on a camping trip. Yeah, SG-1 does the cool shit. Yeah, they're going to spill the same blood in the same mud later. But right now, SG-1 is tip of the spear. And SG-2 doesn't want to leave them behind. Like, that's what this scene's about. They're like, cool, I had a great nap in the tent. We should strike the camp. But, like, let's definitely not go through the Stargate without our three main homies. Yeah. Kowalski is loyal as fuck. Back in the dungeon... We have got a name now for the gold snake. It's Apophis, and he's like the god of night to Ra's god of the day in Egyptian mythology, and he pays a visit to the dungeon. Everybody, get excited. We're here. It's a selection of Children of the Gods Day. Some of you will be the lucky ones, depending on if we think your teeth look good enough, (laughs) I guess. And the others, you know, like... Better luck next time. I mean, we're going to kill you, but better luck next time. If you're in the dungeon, what do you want? Like, if you're in the dungeon and you're not one of the main characters, you kind of just want to get it over with, don't you? Yeah. Pick me or not. Like, I'd probably be getting disrobed in the dungeon, like, just to make it easy. Like, yeah. hey, check this out. <laughs> you're snake like this? Yeah. <laughs> no? All right, make me talk to the hand. Let's get it over with. Yeah. Scarlet does talk to the hand. Oh, my God. And gets changed. Seems to kind of like put him in a daze, right? Mm-hmm. In the same way that Daniel Jackson's wife has become not Daniel Jackson's wife. She's like, I'm down with Apophis now. I'm going with him. Hey, Apophis, you know how you don't get crowd control is by announcing after you make your selection that everyone else needs to be executed, like in the room full of the people you want executed. Yeah. Hey, maybe step outside into the hall to give that order. (laughs) Jesus, it's like his first time. Teal'c is running this execution duty. He has taken off his snake hat at this point. He turns and... The line that he says to Richard Dean Anderson is like, a lot of people have come through here saying that they could rescue everyone. You're the first one, I believe. Based on what, Teal'c? Like, what has he done in your presence? There's a missing line of dialogue here. I absolutely agree with you. Like, are we supposed to believe that Jack O'Neill, as played by Richard Dean Anderson, has so much riz that Teal'c recognizes it? You look like you could make a life-saving gadget out of household materials in a way that I just really trust. Here's a spear. I've seen a lot of people thrown in this dungeon prison, and uh, you did it the best. (laughs) Getting your group taken prisoner like this, gotta respect it. (laughs) So they get in a laser spear fight with the snake men. Teal turns on the bad guys. What a turn. A lot of these civilians do die. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Apophis has got to be pretty happy with how many have been killed in this scene. The numbers are pleasing <laughs> if you're Apophis, but yeah. uh, the rest of them shoot a hole in the wall of the castle and make their escape. This is the cheaper production damage, right? Like, you don't want them to shoot the gate. You want them to shoot a weird shape into the stone. <laughs> yeah. Just like... Cutting a jagged hole in some styrofoam is very inexpensive from a production standpoint. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the clock is ticking, right? Like, the gate's going to close forever. Well, I mean, one of the clocks is ticking. The exactly one-year clock ticks pretty slowly. It's still there. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the clock you're talking about, though. No, yeah. So they got to get back to the Stargate, and it's it's a long walk. They got a lot of extra people with them, so they got to hoof it. They have a lot of time to talk on this walk. And Teal'c is like, want to see my snake? And he just fucking whips it out. Yeah. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a work environment, man. Like, we're in mixed company. Put that away. Finally, we get the payoff for premium cable. <laughs> we see Teal'c's old come out of his ex. And this thing sounds great. You can have perfect health and live forever. All you got to do is give this thing a ride. Sign me up for an X right now, man. (laughs) He's like, uh, yeah, I mean, the trouble is if you get this thing out of me, I'm probably going to die or get sick like anyone else would. And also, those folks back there who talked to the hand, uh, they're not the same as they were before. Yeah. Which sounds pretty dark. Doesn't sound great. Get it out of there. So they get beat to the Stargate by Apophis and company who have taken an airplane over there. This is so wasteful, right? You get on these planets with these deities, these godlike figures, and they take these short private jet trips. Oh, yeah. And it's like multiple tons of carbon that go into the atmosphere just so that they can get around a little bit faster and in more luxury than everyone else. Yeah. But I need to take a shorter shower. Right. Cool. How dare you? This is the part where you start to sense that they're reusing some footage from the movie, right? Like, specifically the ECUs on the wing-mounted weapons platform on this jet. Yeah. A couple of the cutaways to the explosive ordnance happening on the ground. Like, I feel like there is some of this woven into this scene. Yeah. But it's done pretty artfully because it's like mm-hmm. a totally different lighting situation than like the desert combat of the film. Right. So, um, yeah, Teal'c and Richard D. Anderson take some shots at this bird, but their spear guns are pretty ineffective. But SG-2 to the rescue, they uh, use a shoulder-mounted heat-seeking rocket to take this thing down. And they start like making a run for it toward the Stargate where... Uh, we cut back to it, and Apophis like is punching in the phone number of some other planet and taking all of his followers and his new bride through with him. It's too bad none of them have the memory of Ferretti. <laughs> He's back in the hospital bed. Could have come in handy here. Yeah. If only he'd uh, healed up enough to be on SG2. He could have just been like up on you know a high ridge with a spotting telescope figure out what phone number they put in there. The boy is up there. The boy. Jack sees Skara up near the Stargate and wants him back. 
And there's a moment, like there's a pregnancy to this moment where Skara seems to recognize him, but maybe not. But also Force throws him like 50 yards away. I think that tells us that maybe he's not all there. Yeah. Or maybe he's just done being on Team Stargate. Maybe he was promised a harem. Can be pretty compelling. I mean, it looked like a pretty nice harem. Yeah. Unclear whether or not he has a snack in him, though. Maybe it's just yeah. talk to the hand magic. Oh, my God. So they don't have a lot of time left, and that is also compounded by the fact that a huge crew of bad guys with laser spears are chasing the refugees and the Stargate military guys. So they've got to kind of make a rear guard action as they punch in the phone number for Earth and start like getting Fuji's through and they're shooting guns and setting off claymores and it's a great big firefight as they retreat. In the midst of all this, Richard Dean Anderson offers to bring Teal'c back with them. Teal'c is like, well, that's actually great because I didn't really have a plan much beyond just shooting all of my snake men. Very emotional Teal'c like breaks the stoicism. He's like, I got nowhere else to go. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what the worst part of all is? I never learned to read. Didn't see that coming. Yeah. And they get everybody through. Like a couple of the soldiers get injured, but they're okay. In the fracas, one of these snacks climbs into Kowalski, though, and no one notices. Yeah. Goes right through his neck, too. You don't see how it goes in, but it definitely goes in through the neck. Maybe it just like went down the collar of his shirt. Maybe that's what it was. Because maybe it has to go through the belly. Do you Can think the snack that, make the X? That is exactly what I was going to ask you. Like, does it do its own surgery? Hmm. Maybe it goes up through his b-hole and then oh. it like makes the X from the inside. Cleaner that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on the other side in Cheyenne Mountain, they close the iris after the whole team comes through. I love in the wide shot how you can see that they have a mini rocket launcher aimed at the Stargate, like with these little like paper towel tube sized rockets. (laughs) Yeah. What? Uh. (laughs) That seems like the wrong weapon for the job. Yeah. I liked that they showed a couple of the bad guys chasing them jump through the Stargate on the other side, and then you hear them bonk. (laughs) They should have a barrel of hot oil above the Stargate. (laughs) Inspired by their visit to Medieval Planet. (laughs) They absolutely should. (laughs) Oh, man. And here's the crucial part. No one knows that Kowalski has this snack inside him. Because it's like, oh, that's a relief. We made it. Like, they should really have a body scanner at the end of that ramp. Don't you think? Maybe that's something they develop in future episodes. But yeah, we kind of end the episode with, well, we went on a mission to rescue two people. And crucially, those are the two people that we did not rescue. But we did rescue dozens and dozens of others. And... Now we know that there's this like wide universe of planets out there that we can visit using the Stargate. So that's kind of cool. And uh, we don't know that Kowalski is probably now a secret bad guy. And that's uh, how we fade to black, how we end the pilot of Stargate SG-1. Adam, did you like this pilot?
kind of threw you off the scent in the very beginning of the episode, Ben, by saying that like I would never take any of these to series. Kind of love this show, man. Yeah. Stargate SG-1, at least based on its pilot, rules. Yeah. Richard Dean Anderson rules. The ensemble rules. I really enjoyed how it was not reheated Stargate the movie shit. All of what it was referencing was new spin stuff. Yeah. It's not just the return of Ra, Ra's not dead, or like Ra's angry brother or whatever, pissed about Ra being nuke. Like this is <laughs> this is like a new character with new ideas and and there's yeah. snakes and this Teal'c guy seems fun. This is the fun tension of like science and military that I feel like we get in Star Trek a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a cozy thematic combination. I don't know, man. I, I really don't have much that's negative to say about this, especially for its time. This one doesn't seem as worn out looking as a lot of the sci-fi that we watched of this era. It yeah. seems to hold up production-wise in a way that's pleasing, that didn't bump me out of it. So like the combination of all of those things, I mean, maybe this show sucks in the fourth <laughs> season or whatever. And in a 10 season show, like I fully expect you're going to get a clunker like that. But for now, you got me intrigued, Stargate SG-1. And uh, I'm interested to know more. What about you? I'm very much of the same mind as you. I. One thing that I kept thinking about when I kept seeing those hentai snakes is this is sort of a series that is built on the premise of conspiracy. There's like gross aliens that go inside your birdie and control you, but also give you like super strength and they are trying to control the galaxy. And that sort of seems like the premise they're setting up. Like that's like the big bad in this. Can I bet... Every penny I have or will ever have in my entire life that we get a shot of a flamethrower shooting one of these snakes <laughs> coming out of an X at some point during the 10 seasons and two films of this show. <laughs> that seems like a good gamble, right? That seems like a safe one. If you're hedging because you've got some other positions that are a little riskier, you but know, pay me. Out big. I'm a hedger. yeah i I had a lot of fun watching this and yeah i think that this succeeds in the way that a lot of sci-fi we love succeeds in the sequel setting aliens terminator 2 being great examples of this like if the world of the film that inspired this is true What else is true? Like, what can you build on top of that as a foundation? Not just one more story with those same characters doing basically the same shit again. It takes not the story from the first thing, but the world building from the first thing, and then expands on that in a really interesting way. I mean, it made me want to go back and rewatch the movie. It made me want to watch episode two. Like, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, I remember occasionally seeing this on TV when I was a kid and like being like actively incurious about it, like not wanting to watch this show. It's because they didn't give you the information during the theme song, Ben. Yeah, they didn't explain what was happening. (laughs) Hey, 
I'm looking to camera right now. If you're working for a studio and you're watching the stream, put it in the theme. <laughs> put it in the theme for every episode. What are you doing? You're making it harder for people to get into you. I know. And like, and yet we've watched, you know, six or seven pilots now so far in pilot season. And the one that doesn't have it, <laughs> it's the one that I feel like is, is maybe the strongest of the bunch. I know. Amazing. You know what else is amazing is our viewers, Adam. Do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages from them in the inbox? Ben, I'm going to walk up the ramp and see what comes out. Just don't reach into this X. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is to Jameson. And the request is to spell out Jameson. J-A-M-I-S-O-N. Here's that message. Ben and Adam, I've been a viewer since before you were on Max Fun. And you inspired me to decide to leave my work on a Malon freighter dumping theta radiation. <laughs> and in parentheses, selling cars for 20 years. Whoa. And be a sculptor full time. Wow. So I thought it was only fair to throw a couple of scarves your way and have you mention my website and special FOD page with some Trek-inspired sculptures. Thank you for all the dick and fart jokes and for giving me the courage to chase what I love. So I'm going to slap the hood of this URL here, Ben, <laughs> and tell you uh, this website really has some sculptures that you're going to be interested in. It's jameson.art slash FOD, J-A-M-I-S-O-N dot art slash FOD, and use the code FOD for free shipping site-wide. Wow. I'm going to go over there right now. Oh, look at this. Frogs of DeSoto. The Frogs of DeSoto are some very enjoyable guys. I've always really loved ceramic frogs in general. And my, my grandfather had a ceramic frog in his back garden uh -huh. at his house. I've always just really liked them ever since that. So, uh, yeah, these sculptures are all named after Trek characters. You know what's great? If you back out and go to the homepage for Jameson Studios, you get a lot of different techniques and you get an event schedule here where this art's being shown all around the country that's great well congrats jameson on uh doing what you love for a living i i tried to buy a, a sea turtle sculpture bin hmm. massive upcharge for the rust proofing of the undercarriage on that <laughs> oh shit isn't that how they always get you it's always the same it's always more. Come on, Jameson. You gotta leave it in the past. You know what I hate is when you ask Jameson if you can get it for like a little bit below sticker and he like leaves you in his office for a while because he's saying he claims that he's going to talk to his boss and you can tell that they're just not talking about that, you know? <laughs> Jameson, I'm so happy for you. Well, our next priority one message is from Chris and it is to she who is my wife. And it goes like, God fucking damn it. It says, read in Twain voice. Well now, to my dearest missus, on this fine anniversary of ours, I reckon it brings me great joy to extend my heartfelt wishes for happiness aplenty in the years ahead. Here's to hoping 
I can persuade you to lend an ear to this podcast of mine once more, just for the sheer delight of it. I think you can infer from this message that Chris tried to get She Who Is My Wife to listen one time and is now attempting to encourage her to give it one more try. Hey, Chris's wife, you are welcome to never listen again. And fuck you, Chris. (laughs) I love it. Hey, please don't make it a Twain one. But if you'd like to get a priority one message on the show, MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. I'd love to see a Twain run on Mm. these. It's just me. Please don't. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? In this pilot episode of Stargate SG-1, did you find yourself an Edward Larkin type character? Edward Larkin! This guy was credited as like something and then parenthetically Bear something. Like he has a first and last name in the credits, but he goes by Bear to his friends. He had like really intense scars on his face and long hair. And he was like one of the last civilians through the Stargate. And like they've just received a bunch of like bedraggled refugees through this Stargate back in the high bay where they keep the thing. But the soldiers manning the like rocket launcher and the 50 millimeter cannon and all the M16s see this guy come through and they like get back to like, we got to fucking kill this guy because <laughs> he's just like a scary, intimidating dude. And he didn't have any lines in the episode. And I presume that he will have some role in the show based on the fact that his character has not just a name, but also a nickname. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing there's like more to learn about that guy, but because he was just like the scariest extra and freaked all the soldiers out, it made me laugh. And I'm going to make him my Edward Larkin for this episode. Uh, For similar reasons, mine's going to be tent guy. Don't know if he was ordered to set up the tent. Don't know if he was ordered to take a nap in it. And yet in this 24 hour mission, he did not set up the Claymore mines. He did not go off with SG-1 or, or any others. He remained behind and set yeah. up the tent. I just respect how weird that decision is, given <laughs> the context of everything else going on around him. Way to take it easy for the rest of him, tent guy. You know, tents can be pretty challenging to set up, so maybe that was a, a tough one without instructions. Fun stuff. Uh <laughs> Well, Adam, uh, we got to tell the people what our next episode uh, pilot season is going to be. But before we do that, we've got our beloved signature segment on this show. It's the Warning Boys segment where we shout out someone who shouted us out online. Sharing what you like about this podcast on social media is a great way to uh, spread the word about this show. And we really appreciate the folks that do it, and you might hear your words coming out of our mouths when it happens. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Hey, this one comes from Mastodon, where Ann H. writes, When one of my favorite podcasts includes a clip from a song by one of my favorite bands, I can't help but feel like they're doing it at me. <laughs> in the best way hashtag they might be giants hashtag greatest generation hashtag greatest trek and i got to thank Wendy for that 
Yeah. Wendy built a little birdhouse in our soul. <laughs> really great work. We love sprinkling musical influences all over these shows. I know back when we were editing, we used to do that all the time. Happy to see that that tradition is carried on in Wendy's capable hands. Indeed. All right, Adam, it's time to talk about next week's episode. Next week's episode is going to be another one that we've heard from a lot of people they want to hear our take on. It is the premiere episode of a show called Farscape. You can find this episode on Peacock or on YouTube, I guess. It is not a two-parter. It's a one-parter episode. Oh, good. I'm excited about Farscape. I'm excited about a one-parter. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of long pilots. Pilots. Yeah, we sure well, that'll be next week. Check back with Greatest Trek for our review of Farscape and uh, all of these pilots. Thanks to everybody listening. We're going to leave it with our editor, Ryan Whedon, from here. Thanks, Ryan. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica and produced by Wendy Pretty. This episode was edited by Ryan Whedon. Next week on Pilot Season, it's the first episode of Farscape called Premiere, and you can watch it on Peacock or YouTube. You can also join other FODs and weekly watch parties on board the USS Hood Discord at DrunkShimoda.com. Thanks to Adam Ragusea, who composed the theme music for Greatest Trek. You can find his YouTube cooking channel and podcast by searching for Adam Ragusea. Big thanks to Nick Dittmore for creating the show art and Bill Tilly for managing all of the At Greatest Trek social media pages. Find and follow those on whatever social media you enjoy and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you post about the show. Max Fun Drive is coming up in a few weeks, and if you're not already a member, it's a great time to think about joining. It's easy to set up a membership, and there are some great benefits to doing it during the draft. We really appreciate everyone who contributes at MaximumFun.org slash join. You can also support the show for free by leaving a five-star review or by recommending it to someone you know. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.